Welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review recorded every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago, satirizing the dumb news of the month that was through hilarious op-ed and searing debate. This particular show was recorded on December 5th, 2018 in Chicago. Please enjoy. Do you feel that energy, baby? Do you feel that two brains in one body energy that I'm feeling right now? Welcome to the skewer. And we're going to open it up with me, your host, Erica Dreisbach. Opening. Well, it's a weird time to create new life. The planet is burning, literally. The super rich are making plans to rocket themselves off world. Literally. The rule of law in the United States may be about to end. Literally. And in the wake of these cataclysmic changes, we are faced with the task of not just surviving, but evolving. In Congress, old guard Democratic leadership asked by the incoming class of young progressive electeds whether they'll adapt or die, (laughs) resoundingly shouted, neither bitches. Kristen Schaal, Jen Kirkman, and other incensed centrists scolded us for not liking Nancy Pelosi and said it was obviously because Nancy Pelosi is a woman. And here I thought that I don't like Nancy Pelosi for the same reasons I don't like Chuckle Schumer, because she said she intends to compromise with the sociopath Mitch McConnell, because she thinks it's fine for Democrats to be anti-abortion, because you got to do what you got to do to get elected, right? Am I right? Am I right? And because she says abolishing the government-armed jackboots of ICE is a suey idea, why abolish ICE when we can reform ICE? I don't know what reform she's imagining. Like, does she think an army of mall cops with swastika tattoos could be reformed to teach English immersion kindergarten to migrant children or something? No hate to Kristen Schaal. And no hate to all those pleading for respect to our machine Democrat elders. I get it. The Democrats are the crappy door at the end of Titanic, and they're not going to save everyone. They're not even trying to save everyone, but they're better than treading water in the freezing Atlantic. And at least they can save the rich white lady, even though we now know, statistically, the white lady was twice as likely to vote for Ted Cruz over Beto O'Rourke in the 2018 midterms. My faith in the horniness of white women has been duly shaken. But so Kristen Schaal et al. say unto us, we have a door. Why attack the door? To which I say, civility and compromise belong to a different time. Namely, the early 1990s. Some of you are too young to remember the early 1990s, but I remember them. They were amazing. It's 30 years later, and we are on the cusp of 2019. Adapt or die. Of course, I relate hard to the belief in the magical power of the status quo. As you can see from my giant body, which is literally nearly the weight of two Tom Harrisons. I wish that was a joke. I'm having a kid now. And thus, clearly, I believe in a fundamental inertia toward a free and happy future, despite all signs and science to the contrary. You know who doesn't believe in the status quo? Donald Trump. 
Mitch McConnell. They are rip-ticklingly delighted to trample on every norm, shitting scads of status quos down the crapper every day. Clean air, Veterans Day. And then we read the scolding tweets, our favorite tweets, the super best tweets ever. (laughs) This is not a drill, alarm emoji. Or my even more super favorite, this dot is dot not dot normal. As if those radioactive psychos care about normal. I admire one thing about McConnell and Trump. They're in their 70s and they understand what most of us don't. That norms are just make-believe. Mitch and Don do what they want. And most of the time the world just lets them. They force us to adapt. And as Tom reminds us, they will never die unless mortally wounded, much like Elrond, Galadriel, Celeborn, and other elves of the Tolkien universe. (laughs) However, unlike Tom, I am married to an Eastern European son of a communist regime who watched his country's dictator arrested and shot by firing squad on public television. So I know on a very personal level that it's possible for bad men, even very powerful bad men that no one ever thought would see justice, to meet their end behind a blindfold. So in a sense, they actually don't see the, they don't see the justice. But <laughs> It can't happen. It's happened. The status quo has no magical power, but that works both ways. That means change is coming, maybe even change for the better. We've got a great show for you tonight, but before we start off with our op-eds, we're going to have Kevin come up here with the fake news quiz. Kevin, please tell us about the fake news quiz. How exactly does that work, sir? Oh, I'm on a microphone. Here you go. Uh, So basically, it's two truths and a lie. Just come up to the stage and... And then, I don't know, that was weird. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, I need a volunteer. And then I'll explain the rest. I don't give a shit. Someone. You're being pointed at. I remember you. Is your name Frank? Yeah. Yeah. Why do I remember that? Come on to the stage, Frank. It's been some time. I'm back, baby. Yeah. I'm the only person that remembers you, but you are back. I get it this time. All right. All right. Why not? No one, oh, okay. No one without controversy to some level has gotten this game <laughs> in over a year, but I keep doing it because Tom makes me. <laughs> All right. Three sets of stories. One of them's fake. Two of them are real. Just let me know which one's fake. All right. Story one. In the autumn... Squirrels think about nuts so much that it may make their brains bigger. Could be true. Story two. Actress Kate Beckinsale tried the penis facial that's taking over Hollywood. It's like a facial, but with a pe- I don't know. Uh, you isn't understand. that already taking over Hollywood? <laughs> Story three. U-Porn responds to Starbucks's porn ban by jizzing in a holiday cup. Is that real? Yeah, are any of them real? Two of them have to be real. Is one of them fake? 
Yeah. We're already we're already in hell. Uh, uh, come up here thinking it's going to be all about politics. And then you, it will be about politics. God, d- well, actually, no. <laughs> now, I'm going to go for the Hail Mary here and say that the Kate Beckinsale one is wrong just because something popped up in my uh, Facebook feed about people getting vampire facials where they're getting blood just smeared on their faces. And I'm thinking maybe that's the thing she tried. That's probably also true. However, this one is also true. So it's not a facial in the in the common sense of a penis facial. They are using foreskin. Yeah. Yeah. I know everyone's like, "Oh, I got to go to my doctor and get a foreskin facial." Fucking Hollywood. Exactly. Exactly. See, I try I try desperately to do this game without like a bunch of politics. There's like like usually no mention of Trump. I don't know about this time. It's possible. But, you know, I, that's what I try and do right. that for these people. Let's soldier on. All right, we're still going on. Oh, yeah. That's a fucking thing. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, he's – that's – yeah. Um, okay, so it's the U-porn one. So – and they did not jizz into a holiday cup that is barbaric. They banned Starbucks from their offices in retaliation for Starbucks banning porn. There you go. Second set of stories. Story one. Who was found on every McDonald's touchscreen tested? <laughs> hey, it couldn't, it might not be real. Study, uh, story two. Study says it takes 17 days for a Lego to completely pass through the human body. What kind of Lego? We're talking about those little pieces? Or like it's, it's. One? It's one of the it's one of the minifigures' heads. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know the body breaks things down. Okay. Story three. Scientists reveal the mystery behind cube-shaped wombat poop. This one's poop-themed. If you couldn't tell. I'm gonna say the Lego one because I feel like it, it would go through quicker than that. You are correct. It is, it is 1.7 days. Scientists decided to do that to themselves just to test it. I don't know why, but they did. So, so just to be clear, there was poop on every single McDonald's oh, yeah. screen. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not even a question. How dare you? Okay. Story one. Kentucky governor blames video games for sharp rice and theft and vandalism. It's possible. Story two. A Wisconsin company offers handguns as a Christmas bonus for their employees. That sounds about right. Story three, Kentucky State House candidate wins race by just one vote. It's politics. It's like you wanted. Politics. I'm going to say the third one is obviously the truth. I think Kentucky's got their gerrymandering sewed up tighter than that. They don't. Damn it. They fucking don't. So what? Uh, so the Kentucky governor blames zombie television shows for uh, the spike in mass shootings. Does he mean television shows about zombies? Yes. Or oh, I was I was gonna say or television shows like that those make old zombies? shows they brought back like Hawaii Five O and MacGyver. <laughs> they brought back from the dead. Everyone's like, oh man. I was like, oh man, a fucking reboot. I'm good. They're gonna go shoot something. I guess that's technically it makes possible. me feel like shooting somebody. Well. <laughs> Well, oh, well, that is that is well. You you did well 
I'm going to shake your hand. It's been a while. Come to the show whenever. Tom's going to give you a fabulous sticker that you can put on, I don't know, like a MacBook or something. What do, what do people do with stickers these days? Hey, Erica. Hey, Erica, you're hosting the show. Sure am, Kevin. You want to come back to the stage and host it again? Absolutely, Kevin. All right, I'm going to relinquish my duties. My goal in life, thank you, thank you. I mean, I guess that was for Kevin. Um, my goal in life is to one day uh, enter or exit this stage without Kevin giving me crap. And I kind of thought pregnancy might be the magic bullet on that. No. We're going to have our first op-ed of the night. It's Allie Reed, who is an actor and performer in Chicago. Catch Allie tearing it up with the Manson family players performing improv and sketch comedy at various venues around Chicago or adventuring on the Hot as Hell RPG podcast, Shuffle Quest. Welcome to the stage, Allie Reed. Thank you. So, there was a controversy this month, and it didn't have anything to do with Donald Trump. I'm kidding. I mean, he wasn't directly involved, but it was totally Trump-adjacent. Some of you may have heard about this photograph that surfaced on Twitter about 60 high school students um, before their junior prom, where two of them in the photo are doing fist bumps, and 43 of them are doing what the New York Times described as one-arm raise, palms down, and elbows locked straight, a gesture that looked identical to a Nazi salute. And in their defense, some of the students claimed to not know what the high sign meant and explained that the photographer had just instructed them to do the sign. And you can't get mad at someone for just following orders. (laughs) Unless you're the police and the school officials who were like, whoa, you cannot do that. We got to teach these kids a lesson. Which makes sense, because the optics are rough. It sucks to be the school with the Nazis. It's not fun to talk about at police reunions and school official reunions or wherever people in power go to get shamed. So you can imagine how mad bummed they must have been when two weeks later they found out that they actually can't punish anyone in this situation because the photo wasn't taken on school property. Alternatively, the Auschwitz-Birkenau Memorial and Museum in Poland responded to the photo by directing the school district to its online lesson plans, including resources on the consequences of normalizing symbols of hate. You know, the good old go-for-their-hearts-and-minds approach, which is so sweet. But does anyone really buy that you can lure Nazis away from their delicious fascism with a lesson plan? The fact is, neither retribution or education brought anyone into the alt-right. Undeserved validation combined with the cultivation of a mindless following did. And that just may be the only way to bring them back out. Think about it. White nationalists love hearing that they're special and their life is the hardest and that the world is amazed at how they really are going to make it after all. And to be honest, I'm not sure it's just them. I live along the, Marilo- the marathon route, the marathon route, um, the marathon route, and this year I unwittingly woke up t- on the morning of the marathon to the voice of a woman drifting into my window yelling, great job, at five-second intervals for three-ish hours. <laughs> and I have never felt better about myself. <laughs> Validation feels nice, even if you did absolutely nothing to deserve it. 
even if you know in the front of your mind that that person isn't even talking to you, being rewarded for doing nothing feels fucking nice. And once you've validated someone, you can make them do anything. Just think about it. Trump at his rallies, if he says something and it gets a big reaction, he's going to try to do that thing. And people can get pissed about that or we can capitalize on it. Create an entire cult following using affirmations. If anyone questions it, just tell them they're pretty. Some people might argue that creating a mindless following doesn't actually solve the problem, that the alt-right represents a flawed ideology, and that it's the personal responsibility of every American to diligently navigate our current political climate by staying abreast of current events, parsing out which news sources are reliable, remaining constantly vigilant, and taking action to manifest the world they want to live in for themselves and their countrymen. And any of the other writers tonight are welcome to campaign for what sounds like the equivalent of diet and exercise for political engagement. <laughs> I'm here to sell you the shake weight. Make something that's fun to follow, like a real political party with candy and dancing and way to go stickers. Create the following, and then if you want to add new messaging later, you totally can. Think about it. Do Scientologists lead with, and eventually we'll take all your money and your family and your sense of self and leave you with nothing? I don't know, but probably not, right? <laughs> Later, you could add in stuff about valuing universal human rights or advocating for a fair taxation system. Once you get some speed, the sled will power itself no matter how much weight you pile on it. You just have to think about the optics of it. Like, don't put fascist stuff back into the happy cult, or else we're sort of back where we started. But besides that, frankly, the bar is so low now. Like, you can just use the barometer of, does this hurt anyone? And if it doesn't, it's probably okay to do. Does it isolate children from their parents, contradict American laws, exacerbate violence, intensify class stratification, or com com compromise other, another person's humanity? No? Perfect. Right? Right? I mean, I think that sounds right, but I don't really know. I'm, I'm planning on letting James Spader make those kinds of decisions, and I'll just focus on receiving compliments. Yeah, that's right. I'm nominating James Spader to lead the cult, so any follow-up questions about the logistics of all this can just be directed to him. I've been on a bit of a JS kick recently, a late The Office situation that segued into the blacklist that somehow sent me backwards to Boston Legal. And I gotta say, I understand the appeal of being told exactly what is the right thing to do, and that seems to be pretty much all of what he does. Jay Spitty has the perfect mix of Devil May Care swagger along with, but the shit I'm doing is mostly for the public good and motivated by morality, sandwiched on the other side with double middle fingers, because you gotta keep it sexy, y'all. Mostly, I'll do whatever James Spader tells me to do, and I think I speak for the entire country on that one. Having completed a close reading of the James Spader canon over the past three weeks, I should warn you that it can sometimes be tricky to determine the things Spady and his subsequent alter egos are doing is how the things James Spader, Spady and his subsequent alter egos are doing is actually beneficial to mankind. And it is in these moments of doubt that we're really going to want to distract ourselves with the dancing and the candy and the et cetera, et cetera. That or you could do your own research. But again, that ship has sailed. Welcome to autopilot, baby. Because that is what the one thing the alt-right got right. Automation is awesome. 
think of self-driving cars. They basically mean we can be drunk when we should be driving. (laughs) And automating our politics, well, that means we can be drunk the rest of the time. Someone just has to make sure both our cars and our politics are driving where we want them to and not to our deaths like that episode of Monk. Season two, episode three. Mr. Monk goes to the ball game. You know, a a ruthless CEO and his wife are lured to their deaths by their own car's GPS, and Monk connects their murder to a star ballplayer's quest for the single-season home run record. It's not important. Monk is my backup choice for cult leader. Keep your eye on the shake weight. Look, I spent Thanksgiving with a two-year-old boy and a four-year-old boy, and I understand that not everyone is ready for independent thought. There's no reason people should have to think or struggle in order to dilute themselves into thinking they're winning politically or to be told they're a good boy. Now go on and tell me I'm pretty and I did a great job. Allie, you're so pretty and you did a good job. Um, I have a a big-time crush on Allie, which she knows and definitely played into earlier this evening when she came over, she's like, hi, Erica. And then doing that unbroken eye contact. I'm blushing now thinking about it. That unbroken eye contact, like, how are you? And I was like, oh, Allie. I'm blushing. This is good. This is good. This is a good thing. We're telling secrets tonight. Uh, Maggie Tomasek is our next writer. She's a writer, comic, runner, and a rapper who spits rhymes as Mag Rock with She's Crafty, Chicago's all-female Beastie Boys tribute band. Welcome up to the stage, Maggie Tomasek. Is this one? I don't know. I'm going to do this one. How about? All right. Here we go. Okay, here's a fun fact. Last year alone, Americans raised $650 million for healthcare expenses through GoFundMe. Wow, how inspiring, how amazing, how fucked up is that? We may have hit a new level of what the fuck in the medical expense crowdfunding trend with this particular story. So a couple weeks ago, a heart transplant patient in Michigan was rejected as a candidate because she couldn't afford the follow-up care. And then the hospital actually had the fucking audacity to recommend a, quote, $10,000 fundraising effort in their official rejection letter to her. And I'm not kidding. That's real. So I guess instead of GoFundMe, they really should be calling it, uh, go fuck yourself. Maybe it should also come as no surprise that this letter came from the Spectrum Health Richard DeVos Heart and Lung Transplant Center. That's right, named for the billionaire father-in-law of Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Uh, A man who's been swindling people out of their money for years with Amway and pushing the idea that if you're not wealthy, you're just not working hard enough. So, pretty on brand. By the way, uh, side note, I've been listening to this podcast called The Dream. Have you guys heard about this? It's all about multi-level marketing companies like Amway. And uh, just when I thought I couldn't hate the DeVosses anymore, I've been learning so much about the shady shit Richard DeVos has been doing with Amway for decades and just like literally influencing our laws so that 
MLMs, which, by the way, are 100% pyramid schemes. Don't let them tell you anything different. Uh, just to rip people off with no consequences. Anyway, go check out that podcast. And then after you listen to it, um, you can talk about everything you learned with that friend on Facebook who keeps trying to sell you leggings. <laughs> Good times. Anywho... Uh, this woman in Michigan can't get a fucking heart transplant because she can't afford the medication she'll need afterward. And the hospital won't even put her on the waiting list until she raises $10,000. Surgery is expensive enough, but the post-surgery care can really get your goat. Uh, all the follow-up appointments and the tests and the scans and the medication that you could be on for weeks or months or the rest of your life... So, in essence, what the hospital is really saying to this woman is, hey, you're too poor to be worthy of having your life saved, so maybe you can ask strangers on Twitter to help you out, and then we'll reconsider your life, you know, life-worthiness. Uh, hope you have a lot of followers. Uh, I mean, it works for selling Amway products, so why not the healthcare system, am I right? You know. It's no wonder that medical expenses are the number one reason why Americans go bankrupt. So, a little story about me. Uh, two years ago this month, I got an ear infection, and then my eardrum ruptured, which was no bueno. So, I went to the doctor, and he gave me some eardrops and antibiotics and sent me on my way. And I was in a ton of pain, and it just kept getting worse. I had this really high fever for, like, four days. It was just, like, sweating through my pajamas and my sheets, which is always really attractive. And I was just, like, sipping Pedialyte through a straw, and then just the worst headache of my life. I mean, my God. I can't emphasize that enough. So, But if I didn't have good health insurance, I might not have gone back to the doctor. I might have just tried to wait it out, like oh, the antibiotics just haven't kicked in yet, and, like, this fever is going to break any minute now. But I do have good health insurance, so I dragged my butt back to the doctor, and he took one look at me and was like, uh, you need to go to the ER right now and have a CT scan. Do you know how expensive an emergency room visit is in Chicago uh, and a CT scan? So if I didn't have good health insurance, I might have hesitated but I do have good health insurance, so I went to the ER, and I got the CT scan, and the scan showed that there was something in my skull that was pressing on my ear cavity and had reached the lining of my brain, and I needed to have emergency surgery immediately. So if I had waited, you know, hesitated, if I hadn't gone to the doctor in the first place, what turned out to be a cyst the size of a golf ball in my head might have become more infected. That infection might have gone past my brain lining and into my brain. I might be dead. Spoiler alert, I lived. It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. It's cool, guys. Yeah. Uh, and I came away with, like, a really baller head scar. So even better, you know. Now, if I didn't have good health insurance, the... ER visit, the CT scan, the ambulance ride to another hospital, the ICU admission, the overwrite MRI, the four-hour emergency brain surgery with one of the best neurosurgeons in the country, thankfully, the five-day hospital stay, the unending visits from neurosurgeons, ENT surgeons, infectious disease doctors, ophthalmologists, occupational therapists, physical therapists, the prescriptions, the post-release MRI, missing a bunch of work, the ongoing follow-up appointments with all of the aforementioned doctors for the rest of my life, plus months of physical 
physical therapy would have sent me into financial ruin. And not even talking about the logistics of having to go to all these follow-up appointments. Like, thankfully, I don't have to arrange for childcare or beg my employer to switch my schedule so I can take four hours off on a Monday to go get an MRI. I had to miss six weeks from this ordeal of work, so good thing my job has good short-term disability benefits. But, like, that's a whole other issue for another day. So, yeah, I completely get why people don't go to the doctor when they're sick. Like, you'll tell yourself, oh, it's probably nothing. I'll be fine. Because what you really might be thinking is, what if I go to the doctor and it's something serious? Like, what the fuck then? Not only because you might have to, like, confront your own mortality or whatever, but because you might not be able to pay for what Trevor treatment, you know, to get the treatment that you need to fix what's wrong with you. People are literally dying because they're being forced to make that decision between their health and not going bankrupt. Because another fun fact, the majority of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. So even a minor medical emergency can be a monumental burden. And for the richest country on earth, that's an unbelievable travesty. I know this is supposed to be a comedy show, you guys. (laughs) But what I'm trying to say is this shit is dire. So yes, it is great that people are helping out their fellow citizens by supporting GoFundMe campaigns that pay for medical expenses. Go for it. Help your friends out. Help your family out. Help those strangers on Twitter out. All I'm saying is, that shouldn't be our fucking healthcare plan. And for fuck's sake, actual healthcare providers shouldn't be telling people that that's their best or only course of action in order to get the care they need. I know how privileged I am to have a good job with good, affordable health insurance, but it couldn't, shouldn't be a privilege. It should be a right. So, you know, make sure your representatives know that and all that kind of junk. Um, and finally, just to wrap up, uh, once again, I'd just like to say, go fuck yourself to Richard DeVos and his whole corrupt family of dipshits. Thank you very much. <laughs> Right, fuck you, Richard DeVos. The DeVos family. Uh, my friend is from Holland, Michigan, and so she knows the DeVos family. And uh, in January of 2017, she was like, "You know, the DeVos family—they're like, uh, they're like, mm, they're like, uh, like well-meaning mom, like a mom who plays the guitar, like in a like a mom way, like not well, but like a mom guitar and." <laughs> She just doesn't get that not everyone is rich. And I was like, hmm. Well, maybe she just won't have the capacity to dismantle the giant bureaucracy that is American education. And that turned out to be not true. So moms, mom power, (laughs) I guess. Our next writer is Kinna Lenhoff, a stand-up comedian, storyteller, improviser, and all-around great gal. She is the host and producer of This One Woman, a one-woman show created by many men and women. The one-woman show where you don't have to be one or a woman. This one woman's live show is the fourth Monday of the month at Hopleaf. Oh, I love the Hopleaf. But if you miss it, you can catch the podcast. Welcome to the stage, Kinna Lenhoff. Thank you. If you have questions about that, I'll tell you later. <laughs> like, I, right now, I just want to have conversations about the DeVosses and Amway and how my brother sold Amway at 18. 
But he got out of it at 19, but still, that's not here or there. So happy holidays, everyone. It's the most magical time of the year, or so we are told. It's also the season many of us watch holiday movies, we'll watch ends being saved, proposals, angels giving people second chances, wishes being granted, and learning the true meaning of the season again and again. We accept the tropes and the formats of these movies because they make us happy and sparkly lights. As a society, we love a repetitive story. And besides the fiction we consume, our news outlets are so thoughtful that they like to give us unvarying stories. They save us the time of learning about issues by sharing the 100th story of why the 45th president won the vote of Steve from Ohio, and how even though his factory is closing, he may lose his job, he doesn't regret his vote yet. Thank goodness. Don't get me wrong, there are many stories out there that are not the same, but they truly have a format for specific stories that they repeat. The returning soldier being reunited with his family, the loyal dog, the adoration of a former president, and the way they treat women politicians. Oh, don't get me wrong, they'll also add a few details to keep it fresh. But the women's politician story is regurgitated again and again. Let's start with our plucky heroine. She may have just won her first election or is starting her 31st year in office. She's been a successful lawyer, a professor, a grassroots organizer, an advocate, or maybe just a busy businesswoman. She is hardworking, but a little aloof. She's attractive, but not too attractive. If she has a cold or is sick, what is her commitment level? If she's a mom, how does she balance everything? Perhaps she's been a fierce advocate for AIDS research and healthcare, but we don't need to hear about that. We'll be told how she's shrill, a common characteristic, a centralist, not liberal enough for progressives, or too liberal, and needs to step down from a leadership position, even though there is no other person with her skill to take her place, and men are trying to organize to bring her down, people will forget about her work on the ACA, and the majority of the problems that we do have with the ACA were based on what happened in the Senate, and she is not a part of the Senate, but I digress. That's not as important as her likability. There's just something guys, the political woman has to wear clothes. <laughs> but these clothes cannot be the same color as any other political woman's. They also need to be reasonably priced, not too inexpensive, but not too expensive. The discussion of her clothes help us learn how we can relate to this candidate. Is she dressed too conservatively or not conservative enough? Newsflash, nothing is conservative enough for D.C. Maybe the political candidate is a registered nurse, and she surprisingly may beat the incumbent. The incumbent, worried about re-election, questions her credentials about working on health care policy and says she is just pretending to be a nurse because everyone knows the only way she can be a nurse is if she is in a hospital or a doctor's office. Thank goodness every local news station will report on this instead of the incumbent's voting record, his misleading ads, and him not agreeing to debates or candidate forums during the election se se season. 
we don't need to be bothered by the political woman's actual platforms. Let's spend time criticizing their age, looks, and career decisions. It's more fun. Our news outlets are also so good at showing how female politicians can work in the male-dominated Congress. These men are just trying to protect the protocols of the establishment, doing their duty of exposing these women's deep flaws or sharing how they've been victimized by overzealous women. Clearly, this is why Hillary Clinton is repeatedly questioned regarding her husband Bill's behavior when he, or her response to Benghazi or her use of an email server. Kamala Harris should not be allowed to ask such specific questions during confirmation hearings. Maxine Waters, you need to watch your rhetoric because you're just too mean. And while Kirsten Gillenbrand is not responsible for Al Franken being accused of assaulting eight women, it is her fault that he had to resign. <laughs> and this decision will haunt her for the rest of her political career. Luckily, we also hear about how real America feels about these women. We're so lucky to hear how women are too experienced or not experienced enough. How she needs to wait her turn or just wait until she's in office before advocating for change. We get to be told how they aren't anti-woman, just anti-this woman. They'd like to share po polls with us about how the majority of Americans don't want a woman as president or a speaker of the house. Who cares that most people aren't particularly fond of this current speaker? But that's not a story. Let's talk about how men are under attack from women in Congress. And women need to stop focusing on Me Too or Time's Up because it alienates men and their moms are worried about false accusations. <laughs> or let's criticize a popular and young incoming representative who is sharing her transition to office with so much candor. Maybe they're doing it because she disrupts the status quo. Maybe they're doing it because of racism. Maybe they're doing it because Nancy Pelosi is 78 and Hillary is 71 and they need a new face to represent coastal liberal elites. Who knows? We just have to keep her in check. I have to be honest. I hate this fucking story. I hate watching it on the news and it happens again and again. We are dealing with a disrupting sociopath and con man that is in the White House, and I'm tired of seeing this reboot every time a woman runs for office, is elected, or is in a position of power. When you're only criticizing women, we know what that means. We see it. Don't try to wrap it in a progressive bow of accountability unless you are holding the male politicians to the same level. You can explain why you don't like a politician with facts and actual examples of their policies. People will listen. I will listen. Let's just leave the sexism out. Now, I don't want to end like negatively because I do believe real change is slowly happening. This past year, Tammy Duckworth was able to cast a vote carrying her newborn child. Amy Klobuchar did not cower to Brett Kavanaugh's rude comment. In Georgia, Stacey Abrams did not concede to Brian Kemp. Could real America be more diverse than we have been led to believe? Kansas just elected Sharice Davids, an openly gay Native American woman, to Congress. There will be 104 women in the House of Representatives. We can and are changing the narratives that we have been fed.
Yes. There will be media outlets that repeatedly, repeatedly take sound bites from these women and distort the facts and talk about divisive politics. There'll be men like the president and his son who want to warp the discussion to fit their own narcissism. But I believe that most of us are aware that humans are complicated, and sometimes we just have to vote for people we may not agree on every issue with, but it's easier to push from the center to the left than it is from a fucking sociopath. But by being more engaged, we can vote for candidates that values are closer to our own and misogyny won't be rewarded. So maybe in the future, oh God, hopefully the near future, please let it be the near future, that this is my wish, is that we vote for the candidate with values. Yeah, one more time for Kenna. Fuck yeah. Uh, From the front lines of being very visibly pregnant, I can tell you right now, it is extremely effective to be more feared than it is to be loved. Um, Anytime someone suspects that I'm about to get angry, it suddenly changes the whole temperature of the room. Oh, I, I I don't want to upset you. And then I can just look at them and say then don't upset me. (laughs) And suddenly shit gets done. Doors open. Uh, It's great. Um, So I think, if anything, um, women in power should become bigger bitches based on my experience. (laughs) Um, Our next writer is Tom Harrison. And I'm going to actually go a little rogue. First, I'm going to tell you his bio that he wants me to say. And then I'm going to talk and go a little bit rogue. He's a gay master of the hot as hell RPG podcast, Shuffle Quest, which you should all be checking out. The co-founder, co-host, and co-producer of The Skewer. And Tom, this is going to be my last show for a minute, as you know. So I'm going to take this opportunity to say that Tom is a truly extraordinary and wonderful person. I knew it when we performed at Wright Club three and a half years ago. I was like, we need to be friends. Uh, And I know it now. There aren't many people who write comedy like Tom and also write and respond to emails like Tom. (laughs) And then within that very small group of people, there are a rare treasured handful who are also truly excellent, honorable, beautiful people. Being a co-producer of this show has been one of the great creative honors of my life. I also think of myself as an honorary member of Tom's family. Tom's family, I don't think, feels that way. (laughs) But I feel that way, like a Kimmy Gibbler figure or a Steve Urkel figure. Uh, Being part of the skewer has shaped who I am as a writer and a friend and a thinker and a person. So thank you, Tom. And uh, hopefully next week, maybe you can come over and meet my baby. Keep it going for Erica. Come on, she's doing a great job. One second, I got. I'm, I'm, I'm tall. How do I? This is a different one from usual. I can. I'll figure it out. Come on, there we go. I got it. Nice. I'm a wise genius. Can't you tell? All right. So yeah, as as I noted, you may have noticed if you've ever been to the skewer before that I am a wise genius. You may be wondering, how, Tom, how'd you do it? I'm going to share to you the key to my wise genius nature that. You will be able to unlock the secrets of all politics forever. So what is the key to wise genius politics? <laughs> Buddy, it's posting. <laughs> can, you re- can you read this? 
It's drill. The adrenaline rush I get from posting gives me the energy to walk to the toilet. And the endorphins I get from shitting allow me to post. Um, I just want to get this out of the way, a little disclaimer. If this concept doesn't land, like, at all, and no one laughs, uh, please do not roast me. Uh, (laughs) If that does happen, I will say that it was on purpose and that this is not actually a comedy bit, but a TED Talk. (laughs) Also, this will involve me showing a ton of tweets, and based on the size of the screen, probably reading them aloud. (sighs) Which may tempt you to think that I'm too lazy to do my own writing, but I can assure you I have worked more on this than any other skewer piece I've done. Uh, I should also bring up this point because I fucking won't address it for like 15 minutes. The thesis of the piece that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez represents the only viable path forward for the left. Let's move on. The GOP, it's bad, and it has a death grip on the soul of America and near-omnipotent political power despite having no popular policies and being obviously evil and stupid. Look at this shit. Bam. Bad. Bam. That's bad. Look at all these things. You don't need to read them. They're all bad. (laughs) Donald Trump openly loves crime and does monster wet red felonies every day. And all of your nanas love them. (laughs) How? The reason is that being old and insane makes you extremely good at posting. Worst brain, better posting. One, you will never log off. Two, you will never doubt yourself. Three, you will never shut up. Just as a little preview of some high-class, insane idiot posting, I am a tariff man. (laughs) Friends, posting is more powerful than volcanoes. He who controls the posts controls the world. To post is to cast actual magic spells and wield great mana. (laughs) Think... Just think about in your brain all of the absurdly stupid and evil things happening today. The anti-vaxxer movement? Posts. Ascendant white nationalism? YouTube and 4chan are the birthplaces of the alt-right. Buddy, that's posts. Russian electoral interference? Do you know what they fucking did? you know what it was that was like the big crime that made Donald Trump president? It was just a bunch of posts. Flat earthers. At a recent conference, a staggering majority of, majority of attendees admitted they got into the movement through YouTube, which is posts. QAnon, that conspiracy theory that literally every police officer believes that says that Democrats all go to Giordano's every night to eat white babies. It's literally just posts. It's only posts. Blamo. Pence with posts. Pence is with a cop that has a QAnon thing. Posts are real, everybody. Now, you laugh at this because it's so clearly dumb and absurd. But you don't know the truth about posts. These posts are shaping existence more effectively than polite, sensible policy ever has. And you need to understand how. 
The narrative of existence is written online. TV and newspapers only exist in the sense that they create fodder for posts. People you talk to in real life, they're probably just talking about stuff they saw in posts. (laughs) And long gone are the days when we had thousands of sites with distinct voices to choose from. Now all we have is Facebook. The Nazi Facebook. Twitter. The Nazi Twitter. YouTube. And the Nazi YouTube. <laughs> Line them up and knock them down. I'm a pro, fellas. <laughs> uh, this is where the world happens. And none of these websites actually create anything. They just provide venues for posting. Posting has unleashed an astonishing power that we've never before imagined, the scope of which we are yet unable to fully grasp, and every single GOP ghoul is a virtuoso at it. They just do what comes naturally to old maniacs with computers and bellow with total confidence 24 hours a day, and as a result, roll exclusively natural 20s without even noticing. They instinctively know this is their most powerful weapon, even without consciously realizing it. Like, they fucking freak out if people don't look at their posts. They literally held congressional hearings about how it's unfair that not enough people are reading their posts. It's like, this is the same instinct that makes, like, at deplorable agonists think that Facebook is broken because her grandkids' comments don't show up. They aren't strategizing. They're just posting. Now, you may be wondering, I post on these sites. My posts do not carry the power of the old gods with them. I must be clear. I'm speaking of a very specific mystical art when I say posting. When I say posting, I'm saying it with a capital P. Make this this be known. (laughs) Only a few posts have a power level high enough to truly be considered capital P posts. And making a post is hard. The GOP has accidentally bumbled into the greatest luck of all time, just having mystic mastery of the arcane arts, just by being as deranged and evil as they would have been normally. I will now define for you the elements of posting. A post is comprised of seven elements. Only if all seven are present is the spell successful and the post overflows with power. I must let you know that I have done exhaustive research, and this list is definitive. I could provide illustrative examples all day if I let myself, and I know this because in my first draft, I did. (laughs) Element one, a post elicits reaction. If you can scroll past a post and not feel anything, it is not a post. Tell me that you can look at this post and not want to show it to someone. I probably have to read this one out loud. This is by Witchrot on Facebook. Due to the unfortunate reality of our guitarist fucking my girlfriend of seven years, Witchrot will be taking an extended hiatus. I, however, will continue the band in another space and time. Being ripe with hate, the music is slowly flowing and without a doubt will become the most devastating, torturous music I've ever created. Thanks for the support. Stay heavy, Peter. Also, our drummer died. Or, for another example, this one. You read this shit, you're either getting really mad or picking up your gun and heading to the border. It's one of the two. 
The next element, element two, a post serves no master. A post cannot exist to serve an external purpose. A post stands for itself. For example, King Pussy Eater revolutionizes our perception of bodies and spaces with his hit single, Goobanya Grinch. <laughs> there, is, there is no impetus for this other than to be a post. There's nothing to promote. There's no agenda. Goop, goop on your Grinch serves no master. <laughs> this element, however, is also why no brand can ever make a true post because the post a brand makes will always serve as an advertisement for the brand. Take this post by Burger King referencing No Nut November. Yeah. No Nut November, if you aren't aware, is a campaign invented by Nazis to concentrate their nasty butter into a pure European super serum by preventing sluts from stealing it. This is a loathsome thing I hate to see, and it is not a post. Number three, posts do numbers. If a post is posted in the woods and no one is around to retweet it, does it be a post? This is not a zen riddle. The answer is fucking no. Take, for example, this post by me. Is it a good joke? Don't answer, it is. But as you can see... It did not do numbers, and thus it is not a post. I will be the first to admit that despite my post scholarship, I am a terrible poster. I am like the son of an ancient wizarding family who was unable to see the manna woven into the fabric of reality. So instead, I write great tomes on the history of spells. <laughs> Number four, posting is not an activity. It is a lifestyle. Posting cannot be added to an existing strategy or compartmentalized. Remember the proverb of the three students asked by a Zen master why they ride their bikes. The first student says, I ride it for exercise. The second says, I do it to get around. The third student correctly says, I ride the bike to ride the bike. That's posting. <laughs> Take this, for example. I'll, I'll give you a minute to let it sink in. Oh, okay. This is John McAfee, the guy who made antivirus software, saying, some call me whale fucker. <laughs> All right. There's a private club of a few dozen Maori men and one butch woman that meet in Molokai each year to fuck a whale. True. Men on paddle boards herd the whale while one tries to fuck it. Wouldn't let me in the club. Tried it alone. Epic fail. This is not something a post this is not something you post by accident. <laughs> you only do this if this is who you are. <laughs> Element five. Posts grant access to the posting dimension, a demiplane of unlimited power. The posting dimension crucially does not follow the laws of reality. The posting dimension is what makes posts posts and what allows shit like this to convince half the country that Trump is innocent. Because in the posting dimension, truth is irrelevant. Would be, 
Sorry. Would-be posters who cling to the laws of reality and logic will never command the strength of the posting dimension. You must trust the post mana. For example, Dean Norris, sex gifts. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly my man meant to search for some horny gifts up in that search bar. He wanted some gifts with which to honk off, but instead he posted it by accident. You'd, th- <laughs> You'd think that this is bad for him, but it actually makes him insanely cool. <laughs> this post positively crackles with posting energy. However, however... If he had clung to the rules of reality, if he had done what a normal person would do, which is to say apologize or delete it, he would be attempting to exit the posting dimension, a fatal error which would cause a wild discharge of posting magic, killing him instantly. <laughs> Norris trusts the posting dimension, because he, and because of that, he knows this post much, must stay, which is why it remains up on his Twitter for anyone to see to this day. And that makes him a true poster. <laughs> Element six, a post reveals the true face of the poster. A poster must not fear. Fear is the post killer that brings total roasting. (laughs) Any true post cannot help but reveal who you truly are, and you must be prepared for that. Try to deny it, and it will backfire. Take this tweet from the editor of Mother Jones, a publication named after a radical labor leader. Super curious how so many people, especially journalists, can openly flaunt their workday World Cup watching. Not opposed, but... Yeah, lady, you're opposed. (laughs) (laughs) Element seven. A post cannot be a second draft. You cannot focus group a post. You cannot means test a post. To edit a post in this way violates element two, which is, of course, a post serves no master, and renders it powerless. Like these two posts from Marco Rubio and our boy Trump... These are clearly raw neuron blasts just posted onto the internet with no filter. My boy boy Marco saw that the F word was too much used and got mad. I crossed out everything else because it's fucking gibberish. You don't need to read it. Trump just calls Adam Schiff Liddle with two Ds and a random apostrophe. (laughs) And then... The leaking monster of no control. A clause that could not be firstier drafted than anything. Also, hilariously, both of these were posted in the middle of the fucking night. If you can't see it, Rubio at 3.43 a.m., Trump 4.22 a.m. These are first drafts. <laughs> now let's just see, for example, what kind of posting uh, Little Adam, the leaking monster, does. What, what, what is he putting up on the old internet? Try as the Trump administration might to burn this study on the Friday after Thanksgiving, the inflexive climate change. Shut up, Adam. Nobody cares. You are posting wrong. We are scrolling on. <laughs> the right has no shame and nothing to do with their time other than post. They create a bottomless vortex of hyper-effective propaganda by accident. Their base spends most of their time consuming posts, becoming molded by their power. And then there's shit like this. Memes of unhinged racism 
that your uncle shares on Facebook. You laugh at how dumb they are. But these posts have unspeakably high levels of mana and are changing the world much more than we ever have. Take like the most memorable, inspiring speech Obama ever gave. I guarantee it had less real world effect than that. Long, well-sourced press releases about how access to health care will stimulate the economy will always fail against posts about how the scary ethnics are ruining your life. The posting dimension is too strong to exist, or too strong to resist. It is now rare when a mass shooter wasn't directly inspired by his addiction to posts. The right posts and the world listens. And Donald Trump, well, he is the best poster of all. He is a deranged idiot who has never known a fact. He was born in the posting dimension and wields its mana as though it were part of his own body. He is like the fish who cannot conceive of water. He's not even aware he is posting. To him, this is what life is. His base thinks he's a straight shooter, despite his obvious lies and crime, because all he does is, is post insane word salad, just like them. Thank you, President T. Lower oil. Like, what the fuck? Check the mana off of that one. Where was I? Ah, his rallies? Those are just live posts. Fox News? You know what Fox News is? It's just a fucking stable portal directly to the heart of the posting dimension. Tucker Carlson isn't doing journalism. He's posting. And that's all Trump consumes. He becomes a hideous posting Uraburos, a perpetual motion machine of posts, endlessly casting magic missiles of concentrated madness directly into the country's brainstem. Posting is more powerful than volcanoes. Posting made Donald Trump president. It is important to overstate. It is impossible to overstate how unlikely this needle threading is. Very often, a powerful post is not beneficial to its poster. Take Elon Musk, who in terms of raw posting energy is the most powerful poster of all time. He is like a warlock with an unprecedented connection to the power of his demonic patron. But every time he tries to draw an arcane sigil to unleash the mana, he accidentally aims it directly at his own ass. <laughs> Take this amazing post where he made a weed joke that cost him his job and $40 million. <laughs> that elicited a big reaction, didn't it? <laughs> but Trump, Trump is a savant. We've had to think about Donald Trump every day of our lives for three years. We've had to read his terrible fucking words and experience his evil. And he can still post critical hits like this every fucking day. Very legal. And very cool. <laughs> like, he's evil and he is terrible. But this is an all-time post. And inarguably, some of the funniest writing of all time. <laughs> like, this incredible post will make every uncle in the country willing to immediately kill whoever the president asks. Let's see a liberal's reaction to this kind of post. Here's a nice quote, quote tweet from a liberal. You are trying to please the government of a hostile foreign power to make a buck for yourself while running for president. You hid that fact from the American people. We fucking know, buddy. It is not helping you to post this. 
The right's talent for posting is especially dangerous because the democratic brain is incapable of posting. They can't post. Every rich liberal correctly realizes that being online is a waste of time that makes you immediately go insane. So they don't do it. When they do a try to post, they do it extremely poorly. I want to show... I want to show an example from what I believe is the platonic ideal of Democrats failing to post. Democratic Senator from Hawaii, Brian Schatz, who by all accounts is a fine guy with strong progressive policies, who styles himself as something of a poster. The tax cut was a ripoff. Every American adult should be allowed to vote. Trade wars are stupid. Scientists are great, and we should listen to them. The VA should be run by professionals and Senate-confirmed appointees and shouldn't be privatized. It was a blue wave. This post blows ass. <laughs> this elicits no reaction except yes or fake news. This is not posted for its own sake. This is not Brian's lifestyle. This shuns the posting dimension, instead clinging to reality like a child on their mother's leg. This does not show his true face, and this is not a first draft. Every, every word reeks of means testing. This fails six out of seven posting elements and sucks ass. It's bad. Fuck you, Brian. <laughs> It is not a coincidence that guys with marketing degrees and a budget and a staff consistently do worse than a drunk teenager with depression posting suck-a-fuck-a-ding-dong. <laughs> you cannot reason with the posting dimension. It only opens if you post. Here's another from Brian that's just utter shit. Boo. <laughs> Let's see what his Democratic colleagues think of this post. Best tweet ever. <laughs> Thanks, Topher. This is all happening at the worst possible time. As the planet looms on the brink of total climate death, liberal policies still pull consistently well. So there is potential. We just need to close the posting gap. But to make up the lost ground, why? Gosh, we need something like, oh, I don't know, the most powerful living wizard. <laughs> she is a post queen <laughs> If you're not aware Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a 29-year-old from the Bronx Who unseated longtime Democratic representative Joe Crowley An extremely shitty poster And won a seat representing New York's 14th Congressional District in the House Now there are numerous new Democratic reps with progressive policies but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez specifically has ripped through the status quo like a wet marble through tissue in that game where you put wet marbles on tissue. It's this, that's the game. You put them up there, they fall down. The reason is because she can fucking post. I've spoken a lot about how the posting dimension cares not for facts and reason, but that's not the whole story. That doesn't mean that they have no place. When they are used as an ingredient, crucially as an ingredient in a post, they supercharge the spell and increase its mana in a ludicrous way. It's something we haven't seen in politics since the fact-based party, the Democrats, has never posted before. The GOP are posting naturals, yes, but because of that, they've never had to refine their game. AOC, however, is a master. She, like all millennials, has grown up posting. And no one is prepared. Take a look at this shit. Where she's just posting about how she's going to do some gaming. 
This post serves no master. This is a lifestyle post if I've ever seen one. The manner that's coming off of this in waves is incredible to me. If that doesn't strike you, how about this one? She is just fucking posting song lyrics that are what she's feeling right now. A classic, this is like a slice of absolute vintage 2007 Facebook reserve. The posting energy is unthinkable. To look upon it, I, I, I can barely look right at it. It is so strong. Moving on, one of, pretty sure one of Dante's circles of hell includes scrolling through a mirror, mirror hall of agonizingly similar health care plans like UHG Choice Master HMO 1800 versus Red Go Option plus EBO 2000. I don't know one normal person in this country that actually enjoys open enrollment. She's doing a Medicare for All post, but instead of doing some Brian Chat shit where he's like, actually, we would save a lot of money if we did a Medicare for All, and you should care about the economy. No, she's saying shit that people care about, and that actually is convincing. My friends, this is a post. Capital P post. No doubt about it. Moving on. So context for this post. She said election day should be a holiday. And a GOP ghoul did what they did best and responded with the in bad faith post about how the millennial wants more days off. Now any other Democrat would trip over their dicks trying to be like, I would like to respond to you in good faith and explain why you're wrong. She's just like, eat shit, bitch. You're an idiot. I f- fuck you. I'm right. <laughs> and it works. He looks like a fool. A post countered, returned for the first time in political history. And this one. Zero is what... Zero dollars is what should be allocated for this president's racist border wall. Say it again for the people in the Senate. She's doing what no one else will. She's fucking telling Chucky Schumer to eat shit, and I love it. I, the, the reaction it elicits is me wanting to vote for her ten times and commit Mondo voter fraud, even though I don't live in New York. <laughs> just, just the underlined portion... Your weird uncle with questionable racial beliefs who shares fake conspiracy memes on Facebook. My God, the audacity. She is calling out the GOP's most powerful weapon, posting. (laughs) And calling it stupid in a post. (laughs) This is like, this is strategy beyond even the greatest mind. Sun Tzu could never do this. And this one. Now, GOP... GOP VP candidate, former, sitting GOP U.S. Senator, GOP Governor, former, U.S. Senator that killed the public option, entire conservative cable news channel plus YouTube universe have all gone after me just to get lit up. I'm not even sworn in yet. Don't y'all have jobs to do? This is a fucking body count post. (laughs) This, this is her fucking lifestyle. She posts. Friends, she, reje- she is posting. She is rejecting civility, a virtue despised by the posting dimension, and calls bullshit what it is. And the Democrats are catching on. Other politicians are retweeting and are using her posts as training wheels. The visceral thrill of just seeing a liberal post kick GOP ass is pushing other Democrats to her side. Even Beto O'Rourke, a miserable poster who is very bad at it, has started doing live videos of him cooking and talking policy, just like she does. I don't think that chunk of clay will ever be a great all-time poster like her. But if, if he can see which way the wind is blowing, 
this is working. Like she's gotten a green new deal, a requirement for humans to be alive more uh, into the mainstream political conversation. And she did it through posting. Some people are going to say that she's a new representative. She needs to stay in her lane. She needs to get some experience and learn how things are done. I guarantee Trump doesn't know how things are done. Look how far he got by posting. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the only way forward for the left, and that's because she is posting. Friends, keep posting. Excellent. Excellent. Amazing. Y'all been having a great time tonight? Yeah. If you have been having a great time at this night and you want to be showing your support for the show, there are many ways you can do that. You can pop a donation back in the donation box up there or maybe even up your donation. Why not? Why not? You can also make sure that you are tipping our bartender, Carissa, tonight heavily. Drinking up. We've also got some merch, we've got some buttons, we've got some stickers, we've got some books. So come on by, you can sign up for our hot as hell email list. It's super fun. We're going to get to the debate section of our show tonight very soon. But first, coming up to the stage, once more, it's Kevin Johnson with the Fake News Quiz. Tom, you're very tall. I think we're going to keep it like this, though. Anyway, I... I the, the fucking... Whatever, that's close enough. I don't give a shit. Anyway, I need another volunteer. Somebody. Anybody. Please. I can't leave the stage. Who are you pointing at? <gasps> it's a consensual thing. You don't have to do it, my dude. Yes, he does. Right, never mind. All right, fuck it. You got to do it now. Hello. Hi. Hi, everybody. Who, who are you? I've never met you before, Kevin. I'm, I'm Mark. I'm Tommy's older brother. Have you ever met a microphone before? Yes. It's, All right, it's it kinda down helps, here. It kind of helps yeah. to use it for the podcast that this is also. Will do. That's also, I don't know what the fuck that, that PowerPoint presentation is going to hold up on. A, I hope it holds up. It was good. It was really good. It was tough to read from yeah, where I stand. Like I want, I want to like post right now. But I'm not a magical warlock no. man. Anyway, you know how the game's played? Yes. I've seen it. I've seen it played. You literally did. Yes. All right. So your first story. Chinese customers hate the feel of Amazon's boxes. So the, the company is debuting a slightly sticky texture. <laughs> okay. All right. Story two. A Dutchman, 69, brings lawsuit to lower his age 20 years. Story three, pro-Trump company is selling Lego-like build-the-wall toy ahead of Christmas, uh, which sounds fucking boring. It's like, I stack them, it's a wall. What the fuck is that? That's what, this, Kevin, this is admirably hard. I have, I, this, this is <laughs> the first set, my dude. Yeah, no, it's very hard. Um, so they, wait, don't, they don't actually progress. One of those wasn't true? Y- wait, yes. So I'm going to say the, uh, the Amazon sticky box one is not true. That is, that is true. There is no <laughs> sticky box. So, so what actually happened is customers in China don't like the new car smell. Yeah. And so like, Ford has to like, bake it out of cars. <laughs> which is yes. fucking weird. I don't know. That's true. There you go. All right. Your second set. Oh, man. 
Also, if anyone ever gets this right, I'll give you a drink ticket. I might just give drink tickets out anyway. I don't give a shit. Yeah, do it. I don't drink, man. It's whatever. All right. Story one. Legal weed could force 20% of police dogs into retirement. Doesn't sound so fucking harmless now, does it? Yeah. Think about the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Think about them dogs. Sad. Story two. Four St. Louis cops are indicted for beating an undercover cop posing as a protester. Well, it happened. I don't know if it's St. Louis, but that did happen somewhere. Okay. It, would be like, it would be like it to be like Kansas City and you're drinking it with St. Louis. But I know it happened somewhere. I don't do that. How dare you? How dare you? Third, sorry, a German teenager sets a land speed record while driving on the Autobahn. What was the first one again? I don't remember. I don't remember either. It's the drug. It's the drug dogs, man. No, the drug dogs one was true, and the second one was true. Unless you're really like deeply screwing with me, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say that the third one is not true. You are correct. <laughs> so okay, so that the, there's no land speed record, but they may have set a record in losing their driver's license 49 minutes after they got it. Oh, that's that's pretty good. <laughs> um, which is cool. All right, all right. You might you might go all the way, what? but uh, you might fuck it up. Yeah, I've done all you needed to do to go all the way. Yeah. until this point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right, story one. You probably heard this right, one. Right. You 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 keep up on the news. Keep abreast. Japan's minister of cybersecurity admits he's never used a computer. Yeah, yeah, that's hundred percent true. Yeah, okay. he's a politician. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. He's not a poster. He's not a capital P poster. Fuck that guy. Sorry, too. Quote, it's the real me, end quote. Nigerian prince behind emails appears at G20 claiming he is actually quite wealthy. Because <laughs> he doesn't need that fucking help. <laughs> story, story three. Woman sues Georgia deputies after their field test or their uh, field drug test says her cotton candy was meth. Yeah, that one's true. So two is not true. did it. You did it. You fucking did it, man. Here you go. Here you go, man. I'm going to give you... Do you want two? No, I'll just take one. Yeah, Chrissy wants All right, fine, I guess. There you go. You can take two tickets to get to go to the best theme park, which is alcohol. And you did it. And as a Harrison family representative, I'll say we do consider Eric part of the family. Oh, man. It's it's a goddamn Christmas miracle. So so what that uh, just to just to say the rest of that uh, the Nigerian president actually was like it's the real me. He denied dying and being replaced by a clone. Just just so you know, um, Erica, where'd you where'd you go? Oh, that's fine. That's fine. Am I being nice to you? I can stop that right now. Don't. Your art. We're good. Thanks so much, Kevin. What, what, a, what a great, epic, incredible round of fake news quiz. Never before, unprecedented. And now we've come to the debate portion of the evening. Our two debaters 
are coming up to the stage right now. First of all, we have my friend Dan Lestres, an improviser and loose cannon future law student with a whole lot to see. Lose. Whole lot to lose. Sorry. And see. Alex Morales, reality's hype man on Twitter and the same in real life. And what will they be debating? Well, in November, former first lady, former senator, former secretary of state, Gallup polling's most admired woman in the world, 17 years running, hiker, and noted challenger of dangerous populists, Hillary Clinton, decided it was time to speak out against right-wing populism in Europe. And her take was, the problem is not European Nazis. The problem is too many immigrants in Europe. I know. Since massively stupid solutions are now on the table, we've asked our debaters to consider two equally viable remedies to growing European fascism. Dan, what will you be arguing? Uh, I will be arguing that it's time we send Tom Hardy to incept Theresa May in her dreams that she include, yes, it's the right place to do it, uh, that she include a provision in the Brexit deal stipulating that every European get a free trip to Amsterdam where they can get stoned, get laid, and lose track of all that racism. And Alex, what will you be arguing? I will be arguing that we give every Nazi a role in Star Wars Episode Nine as a stormtrooper and then lock them in the soundstage. All right. <laughs> We're now going to have opening statements for our debaters. Which of you gentlemen would like to go first? Okay. I'll, I'll use this one. Yeah, it's yeah I'll give you the... Go ahead and start. It's fine. Thanks. No, Just you... Adjust yeah, it. All right. It's good. I like that sound. First and foremost, I want to be clear that my solution is completely viable. Unlike my tall drink of water of an opponent, it is not just some water pipe dream. First of all, we already have a list of every Nazi. It is merely a combination of YouTube and UNC Chapel Hill student roster. And the only thing that Nazis love more than militaristic fantasies, like alternate history civil war reenactments, playing Call of Duty 1 through 4, licking boots, is getting in a tizzy about Star Wars movies. So, while I don't agree with my president, Hillary Clinton, on all of her policies, I don't think we should be appeasing Nazis, but I do think that we should be fulfilling their fantasies. This is what they like to do. They get to dress up all in white, hang out with other people who look like them, and then take orders from a scary guy with a German name, like Vader or J.J. Abrams. Some people think we should be deplatforming Nazis. No, we should put them all on one platform and then burn it to the ground. So I am not a fool. Okay, I realize that the Death Star doesn't actually exist and that there would be a lot less space, and you're probably thinking, how are we going to cram everyone in there? 
And when I was fielding this question from your mom last night, what we came to is that it doesn't need to be comfortable as long as it's sufficiently humiliating. As for the Inception plot, uh, one, like the movie, it seems more complicated than it needs to be to be cool, and two, I don't know if you went to college, Dan, but nothing harshes the mellow of a smoke circle more than that one alt-right guy coming up and trying to get you to read Ayn Rand because he sees that you're smoking weed and you must hate the government. And Check out my undercut. So, can we really trust a giant multinational company to get rid of fascism? A global corporation like Disney has fascism as its logical end goal, but we aren't getting rid of fascists, just Nazis as per the prompt loophole. Yes, yes, Disney will probably fill the power void with some palatable mouse ear-wearing, vaguely multi-ethnic neo-fascism, but remember, you, you know that friend you had in high school, the one who was a, a little too into Disney? No, not the horse girl, but they, they, they hung out. They're a Nazi now. Anyone who has ever enjoyed a Disney movie, is a Nazi. You like Toy Story? Consumerism. You like the Aristocats? What about the Proletaricats? You like Black Panther? Nazis. Yeah, even that one, and you can quote me on this, because Wakanda is actually just Steve Bannon's wet dream shot in negative mode. It's just a bunch of white people with black teeth being all isolationist and telling the rest of the world to go fuck itself. B but I digress. Think about how much sweeter Star Wars Episode Nine will be in IMAX when the good guys win and they blow up the Death Star Five or whatever they're on now, <laughs> and the real good guys actually win. Okay? Only nerds cheer at the end of Star Wars movies, but only real allies cheer at the end of this one. <laughs> Our only solution to this spreading plague is a quarantine, and once they're in a quarantine sending in an X-Wing to blow the whole thing up. Like my emotionally available and proportional opponent, I also want to give the Nazis a sweet release. <laughs> and the satisfaction of finally being the actual victims of liberal persecution. I was adjusting the wrong knob last time, sorry. Ladies, gentlemen, and others, while I am loath to disagree with such an eloquent fellow as Alex, I must do so because his idea sucks. <laughs> his plan entails supporting an already wealthy corporation, Disney, really? And not to mention astronomically high logistical costs, astronomically costly logistics, and oh yeah, a body count. Look. The plan our dearly beloved Alex has proposed is beyond our reach. To push back against the rising tide of fascism, we need a plan that is radical and radical. <laughs> I propose, therefore, that we send Leo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy to use inception-based technology to burrow into Theresa May, excuse me, Theresa May's dreams, like a sexy Leo DiCaprio sort of prion. Once inside, Mr. Hardy will convince her that she dreamt up a solution to the Brexit crisis. It will bring peace, peace, and harmony to Europe. Incepted Brexit, or as we will be calling it, Incepted Brexit, shall stipulate that every European citizen be awarded a mandatory all-expenses-paid trip to Amsterdam, where they can get stoned, get laid, and let all their prejudices float away like the smell of some dank on that breeze. You seem skeptical, Alex. Also long, tan, and handsome. 
But nonetheless, I guess I have to explain this idea further into your wise brain folds. Once inside the mind of possibly still Prime Minister Theresa May, Tom Hardy and Leonardo DiCaprio will use their uncommonly dashing good looks and mature body hair distributions <laughs> to convince her that the only way forward for the people of Great Britain and Europe is only if we offer an all-inclusive government-subsidized vacation that will both supercharge the North European economy, removing any contributing economic anxiety, and destroy racism at its root, which, as we all know, is located in the testes. My only, my plan, my only plan, my best plan, it will require a skilled team of three to four sexy people who may or may not be scientists. It's unclear. I also haven't seen Inception since I last smoked weed this morning, so... Uh, but, but three to four sexy scientists. They must be expert skiers, shooters, beer pongsmen, librarians, horticulturists, mixed martial artists, and poets in the tradition of Geoffrey Chaucer. Because, my esteemed and oft-underestimated colleague, this Inception goes seven layers deep, and as we all know, there were also seven layers on the cake I baked with your estranged father. And while I am sympathetic to my abandoned but chiseled Adonis of a foe, his plan involves getting these hideously wretched incels to step in front of a camera, and that's quite a tall order when compared to offering sex, drugs, and scenic picnics by the canals of Antwerp. And I know what you may be thinking, my delectably passionate interlocutor. What if the conservative transformer Theresa May Prime is removed from office before our plan can be completed? What if a second Brexit referendum puts a stop to all of this and all we've accomplished is number 10 Downing Street's first wet dream? The answer is simple. As I told your dad during our weekly barbecue and catch sessions, while watching The Simpsons, I discovered an ancient ritual whereby we can raise the corpse of Vladimir Lenin. We can then use that corpse of Vladimir Lenin to incept Jeremy Corbyn with a comparable policy platform, bottom-up, that will be designed to get every Tom, Dick, and Klaus on the next flight to Holland. What's your plan B, Star Trek? Thank you. Uh, gauntlets have been thrown and the kid gloves are off. Now I'm going to be asking our debaters questions. Questions they have not heard in advance. First question is for Dan. Venom was released in October 2018. Okay. And Tom Hardy received a commander of the British Empire from Prince Charles in November 2018. Logically, it follows that the British royal family are fans of Venom. Mm. What was the Queen Mum's favorite part of Venom, real or imagined? And if my understanding is correct, the good parts of Venom do need to be imagined. Certainly. Well, like the Queen, I haven't seen Venom. But uh, I would imagine that it would have something to do with a slick, oily, tar-like substance covering every inch of one's body. And um, Sorry, what was the question? I'm just a little... Uh, right. when, when the queen closes her eyes and yeah. thinks of Tom Hardy and Venom, mm. what does she see? She sees the future. <laughs> the future of a Europe, thanks to the dream we incepted, also in the mind of Queen Elizabeth II, where she is monarch. She's dead, but she's the monarch. And with that the people of Europe can finally be free of their old, old, outdated ideas about who should be in charge and who they were born from. Thank you. 
Excellent. Alex. Jimmy John J.J. Abrams is the director of Star Wars' um, 7 and 9, films in which stormtroopers are unambiguously bad guys. He also directed Overlord, a World War II horror film in which Nazis are unambiguously bad guys. And he himself is also, you know, Jewish. Given this anti-Nazi context, how do you propose successfully extending JoJo's credibility amongst fascists? Well, first off, JJ is a pretty broy name. <laughs> and, and and while I would never suggest that he changes his last name, it works. <laughs> to be clear, I think that the attraction of stormtroopery is really what the Nazis will go for. And they're not the brightest bunch, so if we just tell them that someone else is in charge, someone more palatable, perhaps someone older and whiter than J.J. Abrams, which is most of the other directors of Star Wars, <laughs> I think things might yet go in our favor. Nice. Excellent. Dan... What about the sex-negative Nazis, the asexual Nazis, and the straight-edge Nazis? How do we convince them to come to De Mordedam and smoke a little rippity-dip-dip-dip? How do we bid them and come enjoy soft and sensual body pleasures? Certainly. Well, like any ideology, uh, the far right is full of a certain number of ascetics, people with weird rules about when you can masturbate. Uh, But I have a plan around this. Ultimately, our plan will only work if these individuals are rooted out before they've even arrived at their destination. Thus, instead of airplanes, we use a network of Orient Expresses to get them to their destination. (laughs) On each train, we will stage one very precise but morally justifiable murder that will then be pinned on the second worst person on that train, eliminating roughly about 2% of our entire guest list, radicalizing the remainder. Thank you. Alex, you've mentioned explosions and X-Wing explosions once we get the Nazis all together, but in real practical terms, once the Nazis are locked in the soundstage, do we provide them with the basic necessities of life that they may remix civilization within the soundstage in their own image, or do we just leave them? And would that make us the real Nazis? Absolutely. We will give them... Everything that they need to survive. Gasoline, matches, a lot of paper, flash paper, and just a bunch of flint lying around. And dynamite. Excellent. I have one last question for you both. The only thing stupider than these ideas for stopping fascism is the stupider dad and uncle knee-jerk response. Well, how would you pay for it? Thus, debaters, how do you propose paying for your respective solutions to right-wing fascism? Well, (laughs) our Our plans are different, but I think we will just raise the taxes. Yes. Mm. You guys have studied. 
Lastly, we're going to have our closing statements. And so the debater who went first will now go second in the openings. Once again, ladies, gentlemen, others, my gracious, esteemable, and titanic colleague, Alex, the choice we face couldn't be any clearer. We could do as my gentle, tender comrade, Alex, suggests, and become the real Nazis. But, as sweet and delicious as it might be to get the fascists to round themselves up for once, it would all be far less bloody and much gnarlier if we simply invoked that all-natural power of sex, drugs, and Euro-cloud rap. You could take any fascist, like this Aryan specimen in the front row, <laughs> and completely deprogram them with Nothing more than a long weekend of huffing bones, fucking a diverse array of well-traveled and unionized sex workers, and of course, Neil Young. To close on a personal note, without marijuana and sex, I would never have become the gay communist friend your parents warned you about. But I must also give honorable mentions to my liberal arts degree and the University of Chicago Police Department. So, trust me when I say that it won't take more than a few puffs and even fewer tugs to get even Europe's most misguided, isolated, and reactionary youth on the path towards atheism, communism, free love, and the realization that people who aren't from Europe are still people. Thank you. Dan, there's so much I admire about you. Your eloquence with words, the, the litheness with which you move on the dance floor, the dazzle of your eyes at 5 p.m., our special hour but I am not convinced that any number of canals, biological or otherwise, can ever get rid of fascism deeply rooted in someone's heart. Now, I've done the math, and the amount of legal shrooms it would take to force all of those third eyes open would bankrupt the European Union. My plan has already been funded by the Disney Corporation, which they generously agreed to do for free, provided that they get to keep the copyright for, I think, 100 years after the death of the last Nazi... I am willing to concede that smoking weed turns you into a communist. <laughs> but is smoking a lot of weed ever the solution to problems? This does require further research, and I would invite you to meet me after to Explore. yeah, find out. Mm. Thank you very much, Daniel. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. has been an incredible debate and both of our contenders were truly excellent tonight but there can be only one winner just as there can only be one Highlander and so our wonderful op editor Kinna has volunteered to be our judge for tonight we are going to determine the winner of the debate by the sheer loudness of your applause so think now who you think the winner is, search in your heart. If you believe that the winner tonight was Alex, please applaud madly. And if you believe that the winner tonight was Dan, please applaud madly. Our judge, Kenna. By a nose, by a hair. Oh. 
Thank you so much to our debaters. Thank you to all our performers tonight. I get it. Skewer. <laughs> you guys are great. And then that's the end of the debate, so you guys can. Thank you. <laughs> That's been our show for tonight. Our next show is going to be in 2019. It'll be February 6th. We're going to skip January. So we'll catch up with you in the new year. And uh, at that time, I will no longer be two beings or in one body. I'll be, I'll be one body. And I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, I hope to see you all real soon. Thank you and good night. Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also come to a live show the first Wednesday every month, uh, except not January 2019 because we're taking it off. Um, if you want to be involved with the show, be on the show, uh, you can email us at skewerchicago at gmail.com or message us on Facebook or just talk to us at a live show. It's all good. Uh, you can also fucking follow us on Twitter, spread the word, you know, all that good stuff. You know how it is. Anyway, until next time, bye.